that God is sovereign. That he is absolutely in control of everything, everywhere, all the time. That no event, whether small or large, good or bad, takes place without God somehow standing behind it as king. God is sovereign. God has given to us uh, human beings um, sort of little s sovereignty. So we have some degree of control and influence and responsibility over things in our lives, for good or for ill. God, though, he has a capital S, bold letter, sovereignty. He is Lord of everything, everyone, everywhere, all the time. And that raises big questions, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to good and evil, blessing and suffering. How can God be sovereign over all of those things as well? But I wonder if the existence of those big questions is why God has woven these truths about sovereignty into stories rather than textbooks. Because he doesn't just want us to believe that he is king. He wants us to love and delight in the fact that he is king. And there is nothing quite like God, seeing God's sovereignty in, in action in the lives of real people in real events to help us do that. Now, these two chapters from the story of Joseph are filled with multiple pointers to God's sovereignty, uh, like um, multiple faces of a beautifully crafted diamond. And we're going to examine five of them together. And all the while, we're going to, ex- to, to remember that this story is a trailer to the greatest story of God's sovereignty of all, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, I promise you I am not going to answer every single question you've got about the sovereignty of God. But I do pray that you would go away believing and delighting a little bit more in the fact that God is sovereign. And that that would help you to keep living for him this week, even if things around you seem pretty painful or random. If you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, I pray something similar for you. That you would see something of what the one true God revealed in the Bible is like. And that you would consider today it is worthwhile finding out more about him. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? First of all, sovereign even when unexplained. Sovereign even when unexplained. This is chapter 40. So look back to chapter 40, verse 5. Each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? Do you remember Joseph has been unjustly thrown into prison, but he has won favor with the prison authorities, and he can tell by their body language that something is up with these two servants entrusted to his care, And he asks them, and they answer, verse 8, We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Well, dream interpretation in the ancient world was big business, but it's no use being in prison. There's no in-house prison interpreter. So it's no use having a dream if you don't know whether it's a good dream or a bad dream, and it remains unexplained. Joseph seizes his opportunity. Joseph says to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. See, Joseph knows that God is the only one who can explain the unexplained. 
And Joseph trusts that God is going to communicate that explanation through him. The cupbearer goes first. He tells the dream. Joseph explains the dream, verse 12. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. It's good news for the cupbearer. Things are going to turn out just fine. The baker is there listening in, thinking, oh, maybe it's going to be good news for me as well. Not so fast. Verse 18, this is what your dream means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale you on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Joseph explained the dreams. Both came true. There is no explanation about why those two different things happened. I suspect neither the baker nor the cupbearer nor Joseph ever knew why one was exalted and the other executed. We don't. And God's sovereignty often works like that, unexplained, even for God's people who trust him, like Joseph did. Look at the end of the chapter, verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Joseph had said to the cupbearer in verse 14, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. It's a very understandable request. For the third time in the story, third time in Joseph's life, he gets what looks like a, a very large dose of bad luck. Remember, he's sold by his brothers. He is wrongly imprisoned. And now he is forgotten by someone who really owes him a favor. And yet God is still sovereign, even when unexplained. See, we cannot know precisely what he is doing in those moments of apparent bad luck or genuine tragedy. We are not God. Interpretations belong to him. God is the one who gives meaning and direction to life in a way that only he knows fully. And even though the cupbearer has forgotten Joseph... God hasn't forgotten him, and he doesn't forget us either, even if it feels like it. His eyes on the sparrow, the hairs on our heads are numbered. Sovereign, even when unexplained. And what is true on the micro level of our lives is also equally true on the macro level of the world stage. So second, sovereign behind world events, verses 1 to 32. Uh, look at verse 8. In the morning, Pharaoh's mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Pharaoh faces a very similar problem to his servants, doesn't he? What is true for the ordinary mortals is just as true for the rich and powerful. Only God can reveal true meaning and purpose and understanding about life to someone's heart and to their mind. Fortunately for Pharaoh, God has lined up Joseph to do that. Look on to verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Listen to this. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Do you notice the, the combination of great humility... 
and massive confidence. God has used those two extra years in prison for Joseph to get him ready for just this moment. He wasn't afraid to witness in the prison to the cupbearer and to the baker, but that was his territory. It was not on home turf. He was master. Now he is in Pharaoh's court, boldly declaring his faith in God to a man who was believed to be God. And amazingly, Pharaoh trusts him. So Pharaoh retells the dream in, in um, added graphic details. I love that line. I've never seen so many cows so ugly as those cows. It really was a nightmare, not a dream. Here is this all-powerful king quaking in his pajamas, waking up in the middle of the night, unable to do anything until the dream is explained. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless ears of corn scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years. Do you know that is the same length of time as the great Irish potato famine? It is more than three times the length of the famine that many of us can remember of Live Aid, 1983-85 in Ethiopia. This is an absolutely dreadful thing. The most powerful nation on earth is about to be crippled. This is a famine so dreadful that the boom of prosperity will be completely and utterly forgotten. Um, by the, by the bust of hunger. It is an apparently random natural disaster, only it's not. Verse 32. The reason, Joseph said, the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. See, whether it is economic prosperity or recession, the rise or fall of empires, uh, times of peace or times of war, times of pandemic or seasons of health, God is sovereign behind world events. None of it takes him by surprise. And it's not as if God merely, merely kind of knows what is coming further down the line, as if he gets exclusive access to the next episode in the box set and he can just sit there and watch it and he knows everything that's going to happen. No, God has written the script. Joseph says it three times. He says the next 14 years are what God is about to do. God has firmly decided he will do it soon. Existing outside of time, but acting inside of time. Absolutely in control of everything, everywhere, always. And so, of course, the question we all naturally find ourselves asking is, really? Really over evil and suffering? Is God behind that as well? Well, without wanting to duck the question, the Bible says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Jesus had very stern words to those who accused him of being an agent of Satan. God's sovereignty is only ever good. Other parts of the Bible, I think, tackle that particular question more clearly than this story. And yet Joseph does say here, God is responsible for this prosperity 
and this famine that is about to hit Egypt. Uh, This week we've had forecasts, haven't we, by economists about the need for tax cuts or tax rises. Um, NATO has warned about the likelihood of global conflict. Climate scientists look at winter storms and tell us that worse is on the way. And it can be unnerving to hear constant doomsday predictions about the future. Like Pharaoh, we can be there kind of in our pajamas feeling like this is more and more of a nightmare every time I hear it. But knowing that God is sovereign behind world events ought to comfort us. See, our lives in global history, they they are not an endless random cycle, just round and round and round, boom and bust, boom and bust. No, God is on his throne. God has a plan. History is heading in one direction, and we can trust him. A little like Pharaoh is going to trust God's words to him through Joseph. But where is history heading? That's the question, isn't it? Well, the next scene in the story points us in the right direction. Third, Sovereign to raise up a ruler. Sovereign to raise up a ruler. Verse 33, Joseph says, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Joseph says to Pharaoh, this is the plan. You must not let the next seven years go to waste. You need a project manager. You need someone to prepare for the future. Verse 36, so that your country is not ruined by famine. And Pharaoh looks around and he thinks, well, there's only one man for the job. Verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the Spirit of God. Think about this, okay? Joseph is a foreigner. He is a slave. He is a convicted, falsely convicted criminal. Pharaoh could easily have said, thank you very much. I'll take charge now. After all, it was going to be 14 years before he knew that Joseph's word had come absolutely true. But God has made things absolutely crystal clear to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is sitting there listening to Joseph, and he is thinking to himself, I have got to listen to this man. I simply must do what he says. Verse 40. Pharaoh says, You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Verse 43, he made Joseph ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. From Potiphar's house to prison, to the palace, to the houses of parliament. Joseph's ornate robe ripped off his back by his brothers. Joseph's shirt ripped off him by Potiphar's wife to use as false evidence. Now Joseph is clothed by Pharaoh in the finest Egyptian cotton. A new Egyptian name given in verse 45. An Egyptian wife, public recognition, virtually limitless authority. God has raised up Joseph from the bottom to the top, sovereign to raise up a ruler. What does this mean? Well, I heard the other week that apparently 2024 is the most democratic year in all human history. More than half of the world's population, 4 billion people, expected to go to the polls. Now, of course, some of those elections are shams, more democratic than others, but God stands behind every single election, every single leader, whether democracy or tyranny, whether our man or woman wins, or the person we are most dreading wins. God is sovereign to raise up all rulers. And so we must pray for our rulers. 
Just back in verse uh, 16, Joseph had literally said to, to Pharaoh, Pharaoh will give, so God will give Pharaoh the answer for peace. God will give Pharaoh the answer for peace. And I think it is peace that we should be praying, shouldn't, shouldn't, isn't it, for our leaders too, that our leaders, whoever they are, whoever and however they are raised up, that they would act to bring prosperity, not suffering to their people, especially that God's people would be free to worship him in peace without fear. It means that. It means also that we should pray for leaders who are not pharaohs, but Josephs. Not those who have the throne, but those who have significant power under the throne. Pharaoh looks at Josephs and he thinks, this man has got the spirit of God in him. And he rewards him with high position. And we want to be praying that, that people who aren't believers would still raise up believers to positions of high authority, to all levels of government. Because in, a, in, a, in an apparently chaotic world, we need leaders on every single level who trust that God is sovereign. Who knows what God could achieve through them? But this point, I think, also reminds us that God is sovereign to raise up the ruler. God is sovereign to raise up all rulers, but God is sovereign to raise up the ruler. The greatest one of all. Like Joseph, Jesus was humbled, lifted up, falsely accused, vindicated. Like Joseph, Jesus said, this is what's going to happen, and it did. History is headed towards the perfect rule of the king, Jesus. And all people everywhere need to acknowledge him as the king. Just like Pharaoh acknowledges Jesus, uh, Joseph as the one with the with the Spirit of God, all people need to acknowledge is Jesus is the one whose words are full of the Spirit and of life. We, just as, as Pharaoh could have ignored Joseph, but thought, I've got to do what he says. We need to realize ourselves, I've got to do what Jesus says and put my life in his hands. But Joseph isn't just a picture of Jesus, the king to whom we owe our allegiance. He is also a picture of us and the way we respond to the king. So fourth, sovereign over human hearts, verses 46 to 52. So uh, verses 46 to 49, Joseph fulfills his public responsibilities during those first seven years. And then we get this wonderful little window into his private life, into his heart. Verse 50, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath. Now, I think it must have been a real temptation over the years for Joseph to give up on God. Maybe especially during those extra two years that he had to stay in prison when he thought he was going to get out. Every day he thinks to himself, oh, one of these days the cupbearer is going to remember me and he's going to come and knock on the door and say, Joseph, it's time to get out. But he never came. Eventually, a pharaoh brings him out. But then he, he names these two boys... Names that remind us that, Joseph, that God has been at work on Joseph's heart. The first, verse 51, Manasseh. Because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. God has freed Joseph from trauma and despair. Remember when he said to the cupbearer, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. I was thrown in this dungeon. Like he's gripped by that tragedy. But now he says, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. 
That suffering his brothers inflicted on him was real and it was painful, but it no longer has that fierce hold on him that it once did. The God of all comfort has comforted him. Next, Ephraim, verse 52, because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. God has turned suffering into blessing in Joseph's private life, but also soon in the life of the nation. As the fruit of the land is stored up for famine, Joseph sees God is ready to bless others through me. God remains sovereign over human hearts today. He is sovereign over your heart. He's sovereign over mine. It may feel today as if we're hanging on to God by a thread. The years pass, fortunes come and go, real painful suffering comes our way or gets fixed in our memories, and we wonder, how can I ever keep on trusting God? But God is greater than our hearts. He is utterly sovereign over them. He can preserve us in our faith. And, you know, we can be even more confident than Joseph was that God will preserve us when those two boys were born. Because God has already secured for us the greatest blessing of all. Fifthly, sovereign to save the world. Sovereign to save the world. That last paragraph is dominated by the word all. Let me show, let me show you. Verse 54. Famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there is food. Verse 56, when the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses. Verse 57, all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Earlier, Joseph warned Pharaoh of the consequences of not following his advice. Verse 36, he said, so the country may not be ruined by the famine. And that word ruined, it's just been used twice before in Genesis, both of them by God. The first time was just after the flood when God said to Noah, never again will all life be destroyed, ruined, cut off by the waters of a flood. What does Noah do? Noah saves eight from death and destruction, as God pours out literally on the earth his fierce judgment for sin. Many years later, Egypt is on the verge of being destroyed, ruined, cut off by famine. But God arranged this global shortage so he could, because he had planned a global salvation. As Joseph provided food for the world, the whole world, to save them from death, from being cut off, from being ruined from perishing. I love verse 55. Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Don't come to me, the most powerful king in the world, the one who you think is a, a demigod. Don't come to me. Go to Joseph. Go to that man who was falsely accused and yet is now vindicated. Go to that man who was cast down and is now lifted up. Go to that man who was betrayed but is now honored. Go to that child of Abraham. Go to him and do what he tells you. You know what God says to you and me today? Go to Jesus and do what he tells you. Don't buy grain from him. You don't need to buy grain from him. He is the bread of life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not be destroyed, shall not be ruined, shall not be cut off, but will have eternal life. 
You see, you and I will never understand everything about God's sovereignty, especially when we are confronted by real suffering and evil. But we can be sure that God used the worst evil of all, the betrayal and murder of his own son, to bring salvation to the world. Sovereign, even when unexplained. Sovereign behind world events. Sovereign to raise up a ruler. Sovereign over human hearts. And you know what? Most wonderfully of all, sovereign to save the world. Let us trust and love and delight in our sovereign God. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Go to Jesus and do what he tells you. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sovereignty everywhere, all the time, over everyone and everything. We praise you for revealing your sovereignty to us through this story, but through the whole Bible story from beginning to end. And most of all, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the true story of him. We thank you that he is the bread of life, that if we come to him, we will never experience famine. We will never be hungry. We thank you that you gave him to us, that we may not perish, be ruined, cut off forever. Help us, Lord, whatever it is that is going on in our lives today, whatever happens in the world around us, to remember that it's not random and chaotic, but that you stand behind it and above it all as king. Help us, Heavenly Father, please, to love and trust and delight in you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.